Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. Hey, happy Easter. It's Easter. It's good, good stuff. And we want to talk about Easter today. So we started this whole series with our torn series. We started with, you know, torn humanity, how sin entered in and how to deal with that, that aspect of sin and selfishness, that, that desire to live independently of God kind of entered into creation. We talked about what sin was, how to deal with it. Then Zach talked about the torn cosmos, how, how God wants to not just restore us, but it was a part of an eternal plan to bring the whole cosmos back into restoration. The brokenness of all of creation brought back together through Jesus, creating us and partnering with us and, and seeing everything restored. And then Bobby talked about the torn heart of God, how the heart of God was broken and torn over the effects of, uh, of just fear and fear of death and all these things. And, and God's heart was torn. And we talked about torn expectations last week where on Palm Sunday, they were like, "Woo, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then four days later, they're like, kill him, kill him. He's not who we thought he was. And they expected something totally different, but they had some guy riding into town on a donkey and going, what's the deal with this? And, and he didn't conquer anybody, didn't get rid of the Romans, didn't do nothing. So he's another loser. Let's kill him. And then we had an epic event on Good Friday. Who was here on Good Friday? Wasn't it an epic day? I mean, we were looking so forward because we had a veil. We had that veil of the temple that was in front of our cross. And we were looking forward to Good Friday when we could tear the veil apart and open a way for the glory and goodness of God to be freely expressed everywhere and anywhere. So we had uh, a couple of our members here go up. And they didn't just tear the veil. They tore the whole temple down. They just they ripped the whole sucker from the roof. And that was good. It was better than rehearsal. It was so real good. So the curtain was torn, and the curtain was torn from top to bottom, and there's nothing that can get in the way of God expressing his love and his goodness and his grace to his people. But today we want to talk about the tomb, because the tomb was torn open, and what does that mean? What does it mean that the stone was rolled away? What does it mean that, that there's no blockages, there's no hindrances to what God wants to do in our lives? So a little bit of a recap, but Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26, it says, but now he has appeared once for all. Say once for all. Now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin. He's done away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. So he gave himself. Jesus came to be that sacrifice. Nobody took his life. He laid it down. Nobody had authority to take his life. Nobody had the authority to even kill him. He laid down his life for us. He gave his blood, flowed out. That lifeblood was given for us. That lifeblood flowed over top of that body that took all the sin of mankind. And that pure, precious, spotless blood completely gave Jesus the permission to say, Father, unto you I commit my spirit. There's a powerful, powerful thing. But there's only two types of people in the room today. 
What Jesus came to do was get us out of the fallen expression of our father, Abraham, our father Adam, and to get us out of that, to get us out of that selfishness that entered into, to eliminate and eradicate in our DNA forever that broken bent that made us selfish and said, God, I don't need you. Jesus came to rip it out of our lives and to make us new creations. So we have a choice then. We can say, I want to come out of Adam. I want to come out of that fallen, selfish, I don't need God mindset, and I want to accept that Jesus has delivered me from all the effects of sin and the fall, and I can boldly declare, I am in Christ. And so that's, that's Good Friday. Now, I want you to understand this, that not only did Jesus die on Good Friday, but so did you. Because it says on Good Friday, it says that I died in Christ. And that's what's so beautiful about it. Here's the truth. You got to die. The only way to get away from this mess is you got to die. But here's the good news. You can die in Christ. So that's what's really great is that the wages of sin is death. And so it's once appointed all men once to die and then the judgment. But here's the great thing. Because of what Jesus did, not only did he die, but you died in him. It says we were crucified at the baptism we had right here. The people manifest that they died, they were buried, and they were raised to newness of life in Christ. And you see, at the cross, you died. At the cross, you stopped. That selfish life, that person was gone. And when you come up out of that tank, when you accept Jesus, you are re-engineered, and everyone who is in Christ is a new creation. A brand new creation, totally set free from the domination of sin, so totally set free from sin, so totally in Christed that you cannot sin. See, because you're in Christ, Christ can't sin. Because he can't sin and you're in him, you cannot sin. Go ahead and read 1 John. And that's what's so amazing about that. Because not only did you die in him, but you were buried in him and you were raised in him. And Ephesians 2 says, you were dead, you were doomed, and you were dominated. But then it says, he made you alive, he raised you up, and he seated you with Christ in heavenly places. Isn't that awesome? So I literally have dual seating today. You might be seated in that chair, but you are also seated with him. Far above every single issue that the world could throw at you, you are seated in Christ Jesus, reigning and ruling over every issue of life. I had here pause for five minutes because they're so excited. God, just a couple of seconds of joy. That was all it took. Okay, that's good. All right. All right. Galatians 2.20. Look at this. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. I was crucified with Christ. That's the good news is that I now get eternal life because I have died in Christ. I was crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I do live in the flesh, I live by faith or by the faith. Not just in faith, but I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's really, really good news, isn't it? It's really good news. So I died. I was buried. I was raised up. And I've literally been seated with him. He has made us to be priests and kings forever because of the finished work of the cross. I know, it's so good. I know, it's so awesome. All right, 1 Corinthians 15, 14, and 17. If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. If Christ isn't risen, we got a nice little history lessons about some religious figure who gave us some moral principles and things of how to live. 
We've moralized our faith. We think it's some moral exercise. We're, we're following some moral savior. You're not. You're dealing with a living savior who obliterated sin, and he didn't come to give you moral lessons. He came to deliver you completely from that whole way of life. It's so good. But if he's not risen, our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. I mean, I had somebody say to me once, you know, I think being a Christian is such a great way of life that even if Jesus didn't rise, even if, even if that didn't really happen, it's still a good way to live, isn't it? And I went, are you kidding me? If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, I'm going golfing. I'll be somewhere else this morning because what a waste of time this is. I mean, if we're here just, you know, we don't really believe any of this, but you know, hey, it's a good way to live. Are you kidding me? You know how God wants you to live? Be holy as I am holy. And I mean, that alone makes me want to go golfing. Because I'm like, good luck. If that's the standard, it's over for me. But he said, no, I set the standard so high because nobody can achieve it. No man. There is no one whose righteousness, no one can glory in my presence. There is no one righteous, no, not one. All your righteousness is filthy rags. Then what's the deal? I will be your righteousness. I, because you're in Christ and because you're in me, the righteousness that my holiness demands, I will grace it to you. I will give it to you. I will impute it to you. You will have the very same righteousness as I am. That's where when he looked at the lamb, the lamb, the sacrifice, they never looked at the one bringing the lamb. They looked at the lamb. And if the lamb is perfect, you are perfect. And so, you know, God the Father, and he doesn't look at the Lamb, I'm seeing you through Jesus, so I'm tolerating you. No, he sees you because of what Jesus did. He totally sees you. He loves you, and he's nuts about you because he's free from every, every barrier. To, and God was never angry. It wasn't like God was so ticked off somebody had to die. I mean, somebody's got to pay for what we did to God. God was never mad at Adam and Eve. He pursued them. He chased after them. He told them, you know what? This might seem messy, but I got a plan. I'm going to deal with it all. I'm going to bring you back into some place that you've never been able to go. And we're not going back to where Adam and Eve were. We're now seated with him in heavenly places. I don't get to live in a garden where God comes and visits me. I have been brought into harmony, atonement. I've been brought into harmony with the Godhead. I am one with God, seated, reigning and ruling with him forever. So the cross, the finished work of the cross, it took us to where we could never go. I have been in Christ. I have been brought into union with the Godhead. Whoa. All right, I'm way off track here. Way off track. I'm just off my notes completely. So let's go. Look at this. If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. So Christ had to rise. If Christ has not risen, give me another slide. Just, there we go. 1 Corinthians 15, 9 to 20, 19 and 20. If Christ, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are to be most pitied. That's what I said to that person. I said, if you think it's just in this life, we've got some moral, you know, some moral rule book we can follow. If that's all it is, the Bible itself says, if that's all it is, we are the most pitiful people ever. If that's all it is. It's not some moralizing rule book. It's a living, breathing relationship restored into union with God himself. It's way more than a, it's a good way to live hanging out with those Christian people. Are you kidding me? Have you seen some of them? My God. <laughs> Thank God it's more than that. New Living Translation, verse 20, it says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So he is the firstborn of many brethren. 
oh man, I'm telling you, I'm not some servant. I'm not somebody who for the rest of eternity gets to live on some low level. He has literally called me brethren. And I am indeed a son of God. I am a child of God. And I've been brought into union with him never ever to be snatched out of his grip again because he has redeemed me with the precious blood of Jesus. All right, pastor, move on. You got to move on. All right, John 19, verse 30. Jesus was there on the cross and they took, it said, according to scripture, they took the vinegar, the, the gall, and they put it on his lips. And in Jeremiah, it says that, it says he did it, he drank it to fulfill scripture. And it was the scripture in Jeremiah where it says when he took that, it says that he took every generational issue. I'm careful with that word today, generational. He took every generational issue and totally set you free. And Jesus, when he said it, he said, it is finished. Now listen, that word does mean paid in full. It is something you'd use in a market. If they said it's 50 cents for the bananas, you gave them 50 cents, they'd give you a receipt paid in full. So it is like you paid. There was an exchange. But it wasn't this kind of exchange. It wasn't like Jesus, he's died, he pours out his blood, and he goes down and devil says, all right, it was my life for their life. Could you please let them go? Let's make a deal, okay? I, here's my blood, I'll pay you off, so please let my people go. That's not what happened. Like, you look, you go, somebody had to get paid, right? No, you see, he fulfilled all the conditions necessary for him to go to the gates of hell and kick it in. He didn't go to the gates of hell and beg for your freedom. It says he triumphed over darkness. He triumphed over the devil. He destroyed the devil. He destroyed the one who holds the keys to head, death, and hell. He destroyed him. He triumphed over him in the cross. I mean, he went in, he said, boom. And they went, wow, you can't do that. Yes, I can. It's done. I've restored everything. Get out of the way. Let my people go. Boom, totally set free. So it was a massive, big, nasty conquest where, boom, he kicked in every obstacle to us experiencing liberation and freedom. So it was a massive victory. It was a crowning victory. It wasn't some negotiation. It wasn't some, and he didn't have to pay off the father either. Well, the father's ticked off, so somebody's got to pay. He didn't get paid off either. He was never ticked off with you. You have never lived an unloved moment ever. It wasn't because God's really mad. Somebody, thank you, Jesus, for getting slapped and beat around because God was mad at me. What an awful religion that is. What an awful religion where some innocent person had to come and die for all the guilty folks. Because you know what? And, and God, the God of that, God went up the top of the volcano and he took his son and threw him in so everybody else could be free. That sounds like pagan nonsense. We have a wonderful God who totally came and he set us free by conquest. And totally established us in the victory that is his. Can I get a hallelujah? All right, so he said, it is finished. It is finished. But let me show you in Revelation. Revelation, it says, and he said, it is done. So that's interesting because back on the cross, he said, it's finished. But then here we are, we go through Revelation and we come to that prophetic picture of, you know, the end of time. And now he's saying it's done. Well, I thought it was done before. I, I thought we were finished. But now suddenly he's saying, no, now it's done. Now it's done. Now I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. So what's this all about, Pastor? He finished totally everything necessary for your freedom. He did it, completely did. But he's not finished. When he was raised from the dead, it wasn't like, he, I'm done, I'm finished, I'm not doing anything else. He's still working. And he's still working with you, and he's still working with me, and he's still doing things. And it's not going to be finished until he says, it's done. But he's working right now. So, well, what's he doing right now, Pastor? Let's go to John. John chapter 20, verse 1 to 10. 
It says, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early and while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb and she ran and came to Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved, which was John who wrote the book, and said to him, they have taken away my Lord. They've taken him out of the tomb and I don't know where they put him. And Peter therefore went out and he, the other disciple, they ran to the tomb. So they both ran together. The other disciple outran Peter. John's just bragging and saying, I'm a better runner than Peter. He outran Peter and he came to the tomb first and he stooping down, looked in and he saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. But Simon Peter, he came running, couldn't stop, but he fell right inside the tomb. So Simon Peter came following him and he went right in the tomb and he saw the linen clothes lying there. And the handkerchief, the, the piece that had been around his head, it was not lying with the other linen cloths, but it was folded together in a place by itself. It's just interesting. Like, why say that? Why, why would it? That sounds like an interesting detail. Like all the grave clothes were wrapped off except for that piece. That piece was folded together. It's like it was neatly taken, packaged, folded together, and placed by itself. Then the other disciple came to the tomb first. He went in also, and he saw, and he believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. Now it is finished and it is done. Something took place between that. But I want you to see that there, there are many theologians and people who teach that a part of their culture was, and it's in our culture too. Does, does anybody use a napkin when you eat? You use a serviette or whatever, paper towel, a bib, whatever you use, you know. But you know what, if you're coming back and you're not finished, you want the waiter to know you're not finished, you don't throw your napkin on top of the plate. I mean, if you toss your napkin on the plate, then it's fair game to get it out of there. But if you're not finished, then you're going to fold it neatly and put it somewhere with your fork on top saying, I'll be back, I'm not done yet. And there's many in the Jewish culture, that was how they communicated that I'm not finished, I'll be back. I've got some other stuff to do. I'm not, I still got things I'm interested here in this plate. And so there's many who believe that that's what Jesus was saying, is that this is done, but I'm not finished yet. There's still other things that I must complete and I must do. And so the resurrection really is Jesus is going to continue doing some more stuff. So he might have folded the napkin, but he's still working towards a specific end. So Jesus is alive today, working to bring into manifestation that new creation. What I love about Jesus is that a lot of people, when they die, they're dead and they leave a will. And then you hope that, you know, your will will be done according to your wishes. But people can contest and do all kinds of silly things. But you see, Jesus didn't only die for you, he is alive to enforce his will. He is alive to make sure every single detail is attended to. And so he's alive to make sure that everything he wanted for you comes into manifestation in your life. So I want to look at a few things that he's still doing. Are you ready? Here's a few things he's still doing today. Number one, he's still restoring lives. So that's why we showed the picture of Natoya. And when Natoya came, she didn't even want to go to church anymore, didn't even want to do that. But, but somebody dragged her out and told her she should go to this impact church. And when she came, she came and she encountered, you know what she encountered first of all? Family. She encountered a community. She encountered, I think these people care about me. So she continued to come back and continued to just pour out her heart, get ministered to, prayed for, get some things spoken over her life. And she went, man. I don't have to allow that accident to be a fixed event in my life where that happened and now life is over. That will not dominate me. And she got totally set free from that. And Jedrin, Jedrin over here is a psychiatrist, I'm just telling you. And Jedrin told me, you know what? I can't tell you how many people go into accidents like that and they never recover. And I see so many people in hospitals and clients that those things become fixed events in their lives and they never recover. 
But he said, so that was a big deal. Didn't you, Jedrin? You did say that to me, didn't you? Just, just wave your hand so they know I'm talking about a real guy. That guy right there. All right. I mean, right after he said, that was a big deal. I'm telling you, I deal with people who never recover from that. And it's powerful stuff. And you know what? Jesus is still restoring lives. He's still doing that all over the place. We had so many testimonies through this series of people's lives restored, people's lives touched, and people's lives ministered to. So you look at this in John 20, 16. We read that passage. It says, Jesus said unto her, Mary. I mean, she comes running up, and she thinks he's the gardener, saying, hey, where did you put the body of Jesus? And Mary's like, where did he go? What did you do with him? And she's looking, and she doesn't recognize him until he finally says, Mary, Mary. And when he says Mary, she goes, Rabboni, which means teacher, it's you. Now you have to understand that here's Mary, here's, here's a person who's broken, and they believe it was probably Mary Magdalene, Mary who, who'd been a prostitute and demon-possessed and just had a messed up life. And when you're in that kind of situation, you don't have a retirement plan, you don't have a future. It's probably that somewhere in this journey, you're going to experience early death and something really, really terrible. And most people despised her, and she was an outcast in society. But when she ran into Jesus, Mary became a real person. When she ran into Jesus, Jesus offered her hope. When she ran into Jesus, Jesus showed her self-respect and dignity. And Jesus ministered to her and Jesus touched her and she had hope. But here she was, she saw that day on the cross. She, she was there when they took away his body. She was there when, you know, they prepared it as best as they could for burial. She saw that my future is over, my hope is gone. But there on the third day, she wanted to go. And the thing that was so dominant in her mind that the one person who ever cared about me is gone and I have no idea what's going to happen with my life. How amazing do you think it was for her to have Jesus show up and say, Mary, it's me. And she said, oh, Rabboni. And she tried to grab him and cling to him. But you see, he hadn't yet ascended to the Father. But before he even ascended to the Father, he just went down into hell, kicked in the gates, got the keys. And he said, guys, hang on. He took captivity captive. He's got all those who believe before the cross. They're ready to ascend. He goes, we've got to stop in Jerusalem. We've got to drop by Jerusalem just one minute because they've got to see one person. There's one person who before we all ascend to glory, I mean, here's Jesus, just cosmic redemption taking place. And he says, we just achieved cosmic redemption. I'm going to go with you. We're going to ascend to the gates of heaven. This is awesome, guys. Hang on a second. That's why it says many of them saw people who had died early walking around Jerusalem. You know why they saw them? Because Jesus wanted to stop for a second just to see Mary. Because he said, Mary's got to be hurt. Mary's got to be confused. Mary's going to be, where's going to happen with my life that one person who gave me dignity is gone but he came and he saw mary and he said mary everything's okay i'm alive i'm alive i'm alive wow and as ingrid was sharing you know no matter what you're going through you're not easter declares he's alive for you easter declares that there's no situation so broken or so far gone that he won't minister to you. And then we see in, in Mark 16, we see he says, you know, I'm risen. And then he says, and go tell the disciples. And here's what he adds. Go tell the disciples. Well, that includes Peter. But instead of just saying, you know, Peter's a part of that group, he said, oh, and Peter. Specifically, he mentioned Peter. Why? Because he also knew that Peter is probably personally broken over those three denials. When he said, I'll never deny you. Never, I'll fight for you. But he said, hey, it's important. Go tell the disciples. And Peter, make sure you tell Peter that I'm alive and say that he goes before you into Galilee and there he shall see him. 
He wants to restore lives, and he's still doing it today. And no matter what situation you find yourself in, wherever your world is or life, whatever obstacle you seem to have before you in fulfillment, he wants to visit you, and he wants to restore broken lives. That's good, but I got more. All right, number two, he's still walking through locked doors. I love this because, you know, it says the disciples, eight days later, I mean, here they are. They, they've, many of them have seen Jesus. They've already had a visitation with Jesus. But eight days later, they're still like, what's going on? Eight days later, and then Thomas, who wasn't there the first time, he shows up for this meeting, and they're telling him all about it. And Thomas is like, I want to touch him. I, I need to touch him for myself. I got to experience him. I mean, I've been so wrecked by this whole thing that I'm telling you, I got to see him. And even with that, he walked in. He says, Thomas, you doubting fool, away from me. Well, he walked through the room, and he said, Thomas, touch my hands. Touch my side. You know, you could feel like, you know, I don't have faith. I don't believe. I'm, I'm so confused. I'm so messed up. But he still walks through the locked doors of your own imaginations. He still walks through the locked doors of your own doubts and your own fears. He still walks into those rooms. I don't know how he does it. If you walk through a wall or you walk through a door, my question is, how does the floor hold you up? I don't know. It's just, you ask those questions, don't you? But you know what? He, after eight days, he shows up, and I love what he says. His first words, first words of resurrected Christ to a person who's in doubt and fear and isn't sure about anything, his first words to him is, boom! No, no, that's not. That's, no. His, 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 his poor baby's on the front row having a full-on experience. His first word is peace. Isn't that great? Listen, if you think you've doubted, you've feared, you're confused, you don't know what's going on, listen, peace. Peace. Let the peace of God enter your circumstance. You're like, all right, next. We're going next. We're going, oh, got to go. Number three, he's still performing miracles. I love this. I mean, he, he, I, love, I love this story because here's Jesus. They're frustrated. We've had enough. They went fishing. They said, you know, I don't know. We better go get our jobs back, you know, so they went fishing. So there they are out fishing, and then Jesus shows up on the shore, but before he calls out to them, he calls down fire from heaven and a bunch of angels from, you know, to go pick up eggs and stuff made from the Family Circle restaurant. <laughs> Jesus himself makes a fire, makes breakfast. Jesus, the risen Savior, conqueror of all things, stoops down, says, these guys are wet and hungry. Been a long night. I'm going to make breakfast for them. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that intimate that your Savior thinks about that for you? He said, I want to make them. Who doesn't love a nice breakfast? Huh? So sure enough, Jesus cooks up a nice breakfast. And then he calls him and says, come on in. He says, hey, before you come in, cast your nets on the right side. And again, they caught such a ridiculous multitude of fish. And that's when Peter said, this has happened before. <laughs> it's Jesus. And look at that. He's cooking breakfast for us. How awesome is this? He's still performing miracles. If you need a miracle, if you think the situation I'm in, it's not just a pep talk, Pastor. It's not psychological, psychobabble, and just be encouraged in your head. I mean, I need a miracle. Let me tell you something. He's still doing miracles. Four. Let me go to four. Got to go to four. He's still pouring out his spirit. Isn't that good? He's still pouring out his spirit. Acts 2, 20, 32, it's just Jesus was raised up. Having been raised up, he received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, and he's poured out the Holy Spirit, which you now see and hear. That same power from on high, that same power to live life. He's not just going to say, all right, I redeem you. Now get out there and be good believers. 
the power to live the life. He's still pouring out his spirit. He's still giving his spirit without measure to every one of his sons and daughters to walk in the fullness of what he's called us to do. Number five, he's still healing the sick. And we had a bunch of stories about healing in our, in our, our series as well, but he's still healing sick people. Let me just right now, how many of you folks here in this church have actually experienced a physical healing in your body? How many? Okay, look around. Look at all those hands. Like a real physical healing in your body. Bill was healed of tuberculosis. When he was a young man, he got tuberculosis, left in a sanatorium. And he did what you're supposed to do. The Bible says, call the elders, and they'll come and anoint you with oil, and the prayer of faith heals the sick. So he was prayed for, totally set free of tuberculosis. So then he applies for a, a, a visa to come over to Canada, and he ticks off the box, have you had tuberculosis? Yes. And they said, well, sir, you can't go. Tuberculosis. He goes, yeah, I had it, but I don't now. What do you mean you don't now? Either you had it or you didn't. Well, I did, but I don't. And Bill's a guy straight up, you know, and I'm not going to lie. I'm going to tell you the truth. I have to check the box because I did. So they said, well, listen, we're going to get your lungs x-rayed, checked out his lungs. And if you've had tuberculosis, there's scarring on your lungs. And they said, sir, you've had, not had tuberculosis. No, I did. He says, those, young, those lungs maybe didn't have tuberculosis, but I did. But I got new lungs. And they're like, what? <laughs> they said, look, these, these lungs and you, you can go to Canada. But God does that. I mean, Joshua was healed of, of, of uh, seizures. I mean, grand mal seizures, where he'd have seizures so bad that he went to his doctor and said, you know, I think I've been healed. They said, oh, don't go off your medication, Joshua. He says, well, I did already six months ago. That's why I'm here. I went off because I think I'm healed. But you shouldn't do that. He says, I'm going to do a CAT scan. I'm going to check your brain. And they checked Joshua's brain, brought him back in. When they brought him back in, they went, uh, I don't know what's going on. I've seen you have seizures, but this brain has never had a seizure. And that's, I don't know what happened because the brain in your head has no scarring and no evidence of seizures. And that's Joshua right over there. That's Bill. That's Joshua. There's all kinds of people here who could put their hands up and say, yeah, I got totally healed too. And you know what? He's still healing the sick. Listen to this. In Acts 3.16, it says, it's faith in his name. I love this because Peter and John are on their way to the temple. They see a guy who's lame and they look at the guy and they said, look at us. We're going to give you something right now. And they, he looked with the intent to receive something. And what happened was they touched him and he was totally healed. But here's what it says. It says, he's been, they thought the gods are among us. Oh my goodness. But Peter said, no, 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 it's not about us. They literally said, we have no piety. There's no holiness or no stature that we have achieved that we got to do this. Real simple stuff. He said, it's faith in his name that made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the, listen to this now. Listen to this. Listen, listen to this. The faith which comes through him. He got whacked in the faith that comes from God, the faith that was necessary for him to even get the healing that comes from God. He got whacked in the faith that comes from God. A deposit of the faith from God hit him and he said yes to it. And because of that, it has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And listen, listen, listen. He's still healing the sick. And it's not because you got yourself pretty enough or holy enough to finally receive a miracle. Am I good enough yet? You'll never be good enough if you think you need to be good enough. He heals broken, wretched, messed up people. Christ came to die for perfect people. Wow, it was a cloud of glory right there. Christ came to die for sinners. So you know what? If you feel messed up and broken, but you need a healing, 
you qualify. You're in the right place. So number six, number six, got to move on, Pastor. He still has the keys. So he went down there. It says, and you read in Ephesians, it says, before he ascended, he descended. Before he went up to the throne of God, he descended to set free all those who'd been held captive, all those who believed in advance that there was one coming. They were waiting for their redemption. And he went down. He said, you guys, come on with me. And those who didn't believe, he said, you guys should have believed. And then he went to the devil. And he said, give me the keys to death and hell. Give me the keys. Revelation 1.18. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. And he's still got the keys. And he wants to turn those keys. And he's turned them for you. And he wants to set you completely free. He opens the door and no one can shut it. He shuts it and no one can open. But you know what? He has the keys. He has the keys. He's still got them. Number seven. He's coming back again. He's coming back again. I believe in the second coming of Christ. I believe that by his spirit, his kingdom is here right now, and every benefit of his kingdom is here right now. But he right now wants to reign and rule through us and manifest his goodness through all of creation. But there is a day where Jesus Christ, just like he left physically, he is going to come. He is going to descend out of heaven, and Jesus is going to come and restore all things fully, totally, once and for all. So we do have a Jesus who's alive, but we also have a Jesus who is coming again. In Revelation 22, 12, and 13, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according to his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I am the first and the last. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and he is the first and last. He has the keys to death. And to Hades, he has it. Works, Pastor, what is that work? What is that? Well, other people ask that question. They said, what is the work? What's, what's that thing? What is it? John 6, 28 and 29. Then they said, then what shall we do? I mean, what may we work? What is that work of God? What is it? What is it? And Jesus answered them and he said, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. That you believe in him who he sent. What is it? What is the work? What do I got to do? What is it I have to do? Because these are people who saw, they felt he's the one. I mean, he, he fed the 5,000, then he went across the lake in a boat, and they ran all the way around the lake, and they showed up, and he says, what do you want? What are you looking for? They're like, what do we got to do? What is the work of God? What do we got to do to experience, you know, full satisfaction? We, we want what you're offering. What do we got to do? Only believe in him whom he sent. It's not about works. It's not about jumping through hoops. It is about coming to church on Sunday. It's not even that. It's not even that. You could come to church on Sunday all you want and still not be a believer. You could sleep in your garage and you wouldn't be a car. You could, you could go to McDonald's every day for the rest of your life and still not turn into a Big Mac. Well, maybe you would turn into a Big Mac. I don't know. But you know, what do you got to do? Only believe. You see, that's what's so offensive about this, is it's so simple. 
Like, God, you made the bar. Like, you're a holy, holy, holy God, and, and I'm so messed up. And what do I got to do to be in a relationship with you? Just believe that I sent Jesus. Believe that what he did, that he died, but you died in him. You were in Christ, and if you believe in him, you died, you were buried, and you were raised up, and you are raised to new life in me. And the life you now live in the flesh, you can live by my faith operating in you. All you got to do is believe. And then I got to work, though, right? After I'm in, I got to really prove that it was worth it. No, it's by faith from the beginning to the end. It's not by works, so no one will boast. Anything that you do in your flesh to try to please God doesn't even register in God anyway. Jesus said, I do nothing except I see the Father doing it. And you are nothing without him. The life you now live is because you're planted in him, you're drawing from him, and you're satisfied every day with his goodness. So listen, I got one more slide maybe, maybe two. So here it is. It says, Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth, if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved, 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 born again, all that stuff. Yeah, it's all that stuff. But God's just trying to communicate that I've got a way to restore you to where you could never go on your own. I've got a way to bring you into relationship with me that I've always intended and I've always loved you and I'm always for you. I'm nuts about you. He said, and here is what I've done. Everything that stands between us, I've torn it open. Everything that is a hindrance to me and you having a relationship, I dealt with it. And I now have all authority to offer you life eternal. And I want you to be restored to myself. You are forgiven, you are healed, and you are free. Just say yes. So he says this, if you, you, confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Isn't that great? Because your heart's your believer and your mouth is your speaker. So it's kind of like your heart's your receiver and your mouth is how you you begin to manifest that and bring into realization. So you, but you can't just say it with your mouth. You got to believe it in your heart. Because if you're saying something with your mouth that your heart doesn't really believe, that creates a messed up cognitive dissonance that is just creepy. You got to believe in your heart right now. Believe it in your heart that Jesus is who he said he is. And he gave it all. He did this all because he's nuts about you. Believe that in your heart. And then just simply say, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he is my savior and I believe that he's risen for me. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, stand up with me. Now listen, I just want all the believers praying and really praying. I just want you to pray. And then I just need every head bowed, every eye closed, and I want to ask you a question. Nobody's looking around. It's just between you and God. But God is making that offer to you again. And he, 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 over and over again, he'll never stop pursuing you. But he's pursuing you right now today. And he's saying, listen, again, here's the good news. I've done it all. And I just want you to believe me. And if you believe me and you confess with your mouth, he says, I'm going to come and I'm going to dwell with you and I'm going to dwell in you. And I'm going to take up residence in your life and we'll be united, atoned, brought into harmony forever. 
You know, if you're here today and you say, man, I don't know if I've done that. I don't know if I've believed in my heart. I don't know if I've confessed him as my Savior. But I want to. I want to be a part of the family of God. I really do. If that's you, then I'm going to ask you right now. It's, it's just between you and God. But I'm going to ask you. I'm going to count to three. I'm going to one, two, three. At three, I just want you to put your hand up high enough so I can see it. And then I'm going to pray for you. All right? So listen, thank you. We got a hand there already. But listen, one, two, three. Just throw it up high enough where I can see it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Just high enough so I can see it. Thank you. Thank you. Jesus. All right, you can put your hands down. But we're all going to pray. So I just want you to pray. And we're all going to pray. Because we want you to lift up your voice. And we want you to confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart today. Are you ready? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I believe that you are risen from the dead. I confess with my mouth that I am forgiven, I am healed, and I am free. So I receive you right now as my Lord and as my Savior. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for filling my life. Thank you for testifying with my spirit that I am a child of God. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that was some good right there. You didn't join a church by doing that, but welcome to the family of God. Now, yeah, that's really good. That's really good. Now, somebody might talk to you after and just want to fill something out, but that's because this event in your life, we want you to fully unpack everything God has for you. And you know, if you did do that for the first time, some really important stuff would be find a good church, talk to Jesus every day, be aware that what Jesus did today, he did once and for all, and you're a child of God. But we want you to grow in the full understanding and revelation of that. Hey, can I get those who are on ministry team today? Can you guys come up here? Anyone who's ministering at the altar today? I know it's Easter. People have plans and all kinds of things. But there, there might be somebody who needs that miracle, who needs that healing, who needs that, that peace spoken over their lives, who needs that touch of God. And so these folks are here to pray for you personally and to minister to you. And they're ready to do that. So I'm going to bless you and send you home with a happy Easter. Wasn't it good to be in the house of God? Isn't it good? So we love you, love you, love you, love you so much. Just want to bless you now. Father, we thank you for Easter. We thank you that we're not just, you know, some club having stories and celebrating the history of a man years ago. But we're the family of God, a living organism connected to the Godhead who experiences love and his grace in tangible ways every day. And thank you for the beautiful community that we can enjoy and testify of your goodness in. I bless this house today. I bless every family, every single person, from the youngest to the oldest. I command them to experience the best Easter yet. And I just pray you would bless them abundantly in Jesus' name. So, Father, I bless them with the love of the Father. I, I pray the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ would just favor them in all they do. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that your wonderful companionship, your wonderful partnership would propel them and animate them in all that they do. Be honored and glorified in our lives. In Jesus' precious name, amen.